0: Please take your copy of God's Word. Let's turn together to Acts chapter 1. The book of Acts chapter 1. We'll be reading the first 11 verses of the chapter. And as we do so, I just want to remark on the wonderful providences of God and how things that we don't plan and uh, uh, kind of connecting together. obviously didn't plan to start this series on Acts and thinking about God's mission to the world uh, to to sync it up with Peter being with us and yet it's a reminder, isn't it, that God's mission does extend to the ends of the world uh, as we have Tanzania and Memphis, Tennessee coming together this morning uh, and then, if you are using our Bible reading plan uh, and following it pretty strictly, then yesterday you actually read today's passage, Acts chapter 1 along with chapters 2 and 3. And so even there, God is preparing us to consider his mission to his world uh, by by the way we're reading the Bible together. Uh, If you've been listening to the podcast, the Three Big Things podcast, uh, we, we talked about how Acts and Exodus have some similarities in our Bible reading plan. We read Exodus and then followed it with Acts and Exodus Moses is God's mediator, is leading God's people to the Promised Land, um, where God will rule over His people as as King. But here in Acts, Jesus who will ascend to the Father as the Great King, and He sends His His followers, His apostles, throughout the world to tell them that the world is the Promised Land, and Jesus is King. So that, so that the promised land is not 200 miles of dirt in the Middle East, it's, it's the world and this world made new, something that began with Jesus's resurrection and ascension. And so we keep in mind this morning that, that what Acts is ultimately telling us is, is not so much what the apostles did, it's what God is doing. God is, is at work <laughs> carrying out his mission through our witness prayer and suffering. He's carrying out his mission of of gathering his people and making his world new. And we're going to see Jesus preparing his disciples for that very mission this morning, but in order to see it, we need God's help. So let's ask him for it. Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, we do bless you for your great kindness to us and and giving us Holy Scripture and, and indeed pouring out your Holy Spirit upon us so that we might understand these words as the word of the Lord. Lord Jesus, we desire to, to lean into your mission, into the work you are doing in your world as the world's great king. And we pray that you would equip us for that task this morning. Encourage our hearts, we pray, as we see glorious riches in this portion of your gospel. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days, So Sarah and I called our son, Sam, uh, yesterday morning. He was preparing to head out to Italy uh, that afternoon uh, to attend a conference where he is presenting on um, cancer research that he is doing in his lab at Georgia Tech uh, and uh, uh, taking a poster and doing some other things and also learning and networking there. But when Sarah asked him if he was ready for his big trip, Uh, my my dear son sheepishly laughed and said, well, not quite. Uh, I just realized last night I had no clean clothes. I need to do laundry, Uh, which was actually super reassuring to me that someone that smart can actually forget to do laundry and and needs to do it in order to prepare to go on a big trip. Because, of course, we know that in order to take a big trip um, and to carry out an important task, we have to prepare, This evening, the the pro football season will culminate in the so-called Super Bowl. And and the two teams have had two weeks since their last game to get healthy and and to reset, but especially to prepare. Because the mission, uh, winning the championship, it requires preparation. Something like these things, I think, is what's going on here Here at the beginning of Acts, um, the apostles are about to participate in a world-changing mission, one that will take them from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. But before that happens, Jesus is determined to prepare them, to prepare them for God's mission. But he not only wants to prepare them This morning, he wants to prepare you and me, because the reality is, is that you and I are called to participate in God's mission to his world, a a mission that will involve us in witness and prayer and suffering for his glory and for the advancement of his rule and reign. But in order for us to participate, to get in on what God is doing, and to participate in God's mission to the world, we too need to be prepared And so in order to prepare his followers, both the apostles in our passage and and us for God's mission, Jesus wants us to look in three directions this morning. He wants us to look back. He wants us to look forward. And he wants us to look up. He wants us to look back, look forward, and look up. So first this morning, in order to prepare for God's mission, Jesus wants us to look back. Uh, the, the the book of Acts begins, in fact, with a backward look. Back to the previous book that Theophilus, whose name means God-lover. Uh, back to the first book that Theophilus received from Luke that reflected on what Jesus had done in his past work, described at the end of Luke's gospel. Uh, how does Acts begin? You see it there in your Bibles. Verse 1, in the first book, O God-lover, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach in the first book. What? Well, which book is that? Well, we very much believe that the the Gospel according to Luke is that first book. If you were to read the first verses of Luke's Gospel this morning or this afternoon after you get home, what you'll find there is is Luke talking to Theophilus and describing his methodology for putting his gospel together. It, by, by mentioning Theophilus again and by referring to the first book, uh, Luke, the gospel writer, is, is clearly telling us first that he's the author of this second book, and, and second, that this second book has lines of continuity with his gospel, which means then we should expect as we work through this book of Acts, the so-called Acts of the Apostle, we, we should expect to find similar themes to the gospel, themes like a, a focus on miracles and the way that miracles represent King Jesus driving back the darkness, driving back the, the kingdom of the enemy. Themes like a, a focus on outsiders and, and God fears and, and in the inclusion of the Gentiles among the people of God. And especially the, the, this profound recognition that something has radically changed with Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection. that a a new world has emerged, a new age has come. And so by referring back to this first book, Luke's backward look here is meant to focus our attention on Jesus's past work. Look at verse 2. Luke says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, verse 2, until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So what we have here in verses 2 and 3 is a little bit more information that serves to flesh out the ending of Luke's gospel If you were to read Luke chapter 24, the end of Luke's gospel, it begins with Jesus's resurrection from the dead and then is followed by scenes from that first full day from Easter morning to the Monday of that week jesus appears to cleopas and his friend I, I tend to think it's probably cleopas's wife but cleopas and his friend on the road to emmaus and there he is known in the in the breaking of the bread after he's explained the word of god to cleopas and his friend and then jesus appears in the upper room and begins to tell uh, the apostles the those who are hiding in the room what his mission for them is and then luke's gospel fast forwards the ascension of Jesus and we begin to wonder well what else happened was there anything else between that first full day that Easter Sunday was there anything between Easter Sunday and the ascension day well Luke chapter 1 verses 2 and 3 tells us oh this is what happened Jesus offered many proofs to the apostles that he is, in fact, resurrected from the dead. That though his body has been transformed from a mortal to an immortal body, still it's a real body. He is actually alive. And he offers these proofs over a 40-day period. And he appears to his apostles and he teaches them about the coming of the kingdom of God. And and undoubtedly what that, that kingdom of God has to do with... Is, is how Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection fulfilled the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Over those 40 days, as he appeared with them and ate with them and drank with them, he was teaching them about the radical import of the resurrection and how the resurrection brought in a new age and a new world and, and how they were now called to participate in, in God's ongoing work. All this reminds us, I think, that as we prepare for God's mission, it's good to look back. It's good to look back to the past. It's good to look back to, to these significant events that have happened. Because as we remember Christ's past work on our behalf, it, it equips us for the future. It equips us to, to see that that this ongoing work involves us in carrying out this same mission In Neil Plantinga's new book called Gratitude, he tells the story of U.S. Army Private First Class Donald Hoffman, who was killed in World War II, and in January 1945, Hoffman's infantry division was surrounded by Nazi forces at a particular city in France, and his commander ordered them to try to attempt a breakout, and in in attempting that breakout, only two made it through, The other 37 were either lost or killed. Hoffman was presumably among those killed, but his body could not be recovered because the Nazis controlled that part of France. And it wasn't until actually the war was over that the American Graves Registration Command was able to go and to recover 37 unidentified sets of American remains, but tragically, all 37 remained unidentified. They were too far gone to, to be able to identify who they were. And so Private Hoffman was actually declared unrecoverable. That was, that was the news his family got in May 1951. What's striking is that the army didn't stop trying to identify those remains. Our Army historians conducted research that gave some hope that, that at least some set of that remains actually were Hoffman and in 2021 his remains were disinterred from a cemetery in Belgium and were sent to an air force lab in Nebraska for analysis and the following year 77 years after his death DNA testing positively identified private Hoffman unbelievable the next month his remains were taken back home to a little town outside of Grand Rapids, Michigan, and there was a funeral service in which his sole surviving brother, who was himself a pastor, participated in the funeral. He was the one who had never given up hope. He was the one who had urged the army on to try to find his brother. He was the one actually who, who, who donated his DNA that eventually identified his brother. And so as his family and his friends had an opportunity to honor Donald Hoffman, looking back was incredibly important. To be able to have a funeral, to be able to honor him, to, to recognize the value of his his life and, and the value of his death, that it wasn't meaningless. Uh, they were able to do that through the burial back home. It, it signaled too that he was honored and that that his death was part of this ongoing American mission of freedom. But friends, if that's the case in this remarkable story, how much more is that the case for us? As as we look back, not to to an ancestor's death, but to Jesus's past work on our behalf, his death, his burial, his resurrection, we not only honor him, But as as we look back, we are actually equipped and empowered for the mission that he has set out before us. Not a a mission that has to do with nation states, but a mission of gospel freedom, of gospel liberty for all those who we would come across. Because in looking back, Jesus doesn't simply want us to stay there. In looking back, he he actually wants and, and calls us to look forward Already in Luke chapter 24 verse 49, Jesus had told his followers to stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. But, but here again in Acts, Jesus reiterates the, the way in which the disciples should look forward and look forward to the coming of the Spirit. Look at what, what he says in verse 4. Verse 4, and while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Notice here that Jesus not only reminds his followers that he had promised the Holy Spirit, you heard it from me, but he also reminds them that John the Baptist himself had promised that that the Spirit would come. In fact, at the beginning of Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 3, verse 16, John the Baptist has said, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so there's something important there. Jesus here in Acts speaks of the Father baptizing with the Holy Spirit John the Baptist speaks of Jesus baptizing with the Holy Spirit and of course both the father and the son are baptizing God the father God the son they're sending God the Holy Spirit to empower and fill full their followers for mission and it will happen in just a few days Jesus says so wait here wait here don't hurry on The Spirit will be sent. The Holy Spirit will empower you for mission. Of course, the the promise of the Spirit, just a few days from now, it raises a question in the apostles' minds. Because in the Old Testament, the coming of the Spirit signals the end of the age. The coming of the Spirit signals a new age has come, the new creation has come, the kingdom has come, and and the kingdom has come then to God's people. And so, quite naturally, it raises a question about the kingdom in their mind. And, And so, they asked Jesus about it in verse six. You see it there. When they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, we sometimes look at this question and we, we misunderstand it. We think that the, the apostles are, are once again angling for power. They desire somehow to have control. We, we kind of treat them like Ronald Reagan had treated Jimmy Carter all those years ago. There you go again, right? There you go again, apostles, asking for power. No, that's not what's going on here. Now, Micah chapter 4 Daniel chapter 9, even the, the songs that are sung at the beginning of Luke's gospel suggests that, that the coming kingdom involved Israel's triumph over their enemies and God's people rule ruling the world. And so if Jesus is promising the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out upon them in line with Isaiah 32, in line with Joel 2, then surely that meant that the, that the end of the age was upon us. That the kingdom was coming in its fullness. That Jesus, the forever king, would be ruling over it now. And so the question is legitimate. And and Jesus doesn't upbraid them. He doesn't say, there you go again, apostles. No, he doesn't do that at all. But he does do something. He, He reorients the question about the kingdom of God into a question, a far more important one, about the mission of God. Look at how Jesus does this in verse 7. Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So you see what Jesus does, the the apostles ask a question about the kingdom that has to do with timing. At this time, are you restoring the kingdom? Are you doing this now? Jesus sets that timing question to the side. He essentially tells us that's above your pay grade. That's not a question for you. It shouldn't preoccupy you. That's in the Father's hands. You can trust that when the Father says it's time for the kingdom to finally come, it's going to come. And so Jesus sets aside this timing question about the kingdom and instead focuses us on the mission. And what's the mission? You will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. That's the mission. Now the mission presupposes the outpouring of the Spirit, which would bring empowerment, right? Jesus says, you will receive power. When? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. But the, but the main point is that empowerment is in order to the mission. So let's break Jesus' mission down for us a little bit further. He, Jesus says, "You will. You will. This isn't a command, this is a prediction. It's a promise that, that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that, that you will be a witness. You will be. In the circles that Sarah and I grew up in, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 was a, was a common text for missions conferences, calling God's people out and commanding them to be witnesses. But, but Jesus doesn't say you must be or you can be. Jesus says you will be. If you are a follower, this is true of you. This is a promise of what you are like. You will what? Well, you will be witnesses you will be witnesses. Now the Old Testament had foreseen that God's people would in fact be witnesses. Isaiah 43 verse 10 says, you are my witnesses, declare the Lord. And so it is. These apostles and those who work with them and by extension those who follow in their path, we bear witness. We give testimony to what we've seen and heard and to what we've experienced. But notice, we're not just general witnesses or or generic witnesses. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. My witness. We'll bear witness to and give testimony concerning the significance of Jesus' death, Jesus' burial, Jesus' resurrection. And we will do so as his authorized representatives. We belong to Jesus. You are my witness. You will be my witness. Not just witnessing about me, but belonging to me, Jesus says. and the sphere of this mission, you will be my witnesses, certainly encompasses those things that are closest to us, but will take us to the end of the world. As the Old Testament foresaw, Isaiah 49 verse 6, speaking of the servant's mission, says that his mission will go to the ends of the earth. Instead of the nations coming to Jerusalem, as Isaiah chapter 2 saw, as Zion, this great mountain, is attractive and draws people up the mountain. No, rather than than an attractive mission, this mission is expulsive. You will be my witnesses where? Everywhere. To the ends of the earth, wherever you go, as you are going, you will be my witnesses. So, So how does Jesus's rule and reign advance in the world? How does the kingdom come? Jesus' reign and rule comes as his spirit-empowered, authorized representatives carry out the mission of bearing witness to his death, burial, and resurrection everywhere. Let me say that again. How does the kingdom come? How does Jesus' rule and reign advance? It comes as his spirit-empowered, authorized representatives carry out the mission of bearing witness to his death burial resurrection everywhere now here's the thing the mission doesn't end at the end of the book of acts no the mission is ongoing and the mission is is not just the apostles mission or those who serve beside them no this is now our mission jesus is calling us into the action the same spirit empowers us today. The same kingdom hope fires us today. The same mission is ours today. My friends, you are Jesus' spirit empowered, authorized representatives. You are the ones who are called to carry out the mission of bearing witness to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And Jesus calls you to do that everywhere, to do that everywhere. Certainly to do it with your children and your grandchildren, to those in your family circle. Certainly to do that in your your larger extended networks. But wherever you go, everywhere you go, you are called by Jesus to be his witnesses. This isn't a command. This is what you are. You will be my witnesses as those who've been empowered by the Spirit as those who have been called by Jesus Christ, as those who bear witness to the reality of his death, burial, and resurrection and the difference it's made in your life, you're called. This is the mission. This is what we're to look forward to. Yes, we look back to the significance of Jesus' past work, but Jesus calls us to look out and look forward and to move in the direction of God's mission to the world. But there's one last direction we're to look as Jesus prepares us for mission. We look up. There's a sense in which this the scene of Jesus's ascension into heaven is a is a necessary prequel to the outpouring of the Spirit. After all, as Moses had to move off the scene in order for Joshua to take on his role as a leader of God's people, or as we've seen on Sunday night, David had to had to move off the scene in order for Solomon to ascend to the throne. And so, there's a sense in which Jesus has to move off the scene in order for the Spirit to be poured out, and yet. His ascension is more than that. It's more than Jesus exiting stage right and moving off the stage so that someone else can come, come forward. No, there's, it's more than that because where does Jesus ascend to? Well, we confessed it this morning in the Apostles' Creed. He's ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And as we'll hear from Peter in Acts chapter 2 in his sermon at Pentecost, the right hand of God the Father is, is the place of highest honor. This Jesus who is humiliated by death on the cross, by bearing that curse, by being buried and remaining under the power of death for three days, he's now been exalted. Exalted to the place of highest honor, the place at God's right hand. And so the right hand of the Father is the place of honor, but it's also the place of rule. Because by ascending to the right hand of the Father, Jesus is now enthroned as both Lord and Messiah. And friends, That means, then, as we look up to Jesus, we are looking up to the one who is presently ruling right now. Jesus is king, and he is in charge right now. Jesus rules over princes, and he rules over principalities. Jesus rules over powers, and he rules over the peoples. Jesus rules over dark powers, and he rules over the dark days. Friends, this means that Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. Putin is not Lord. Kim Jong-il is not Lord. The radical Islamists are not Lord. Biden or Trump, they are not Lord. No, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the one right now who is seated at the right hand of the Father in such a way that our faith looks up to him. And our hopes rest in him. And our deepest longings are to be with him because our lives are hidden with God in Christ. And now we know that as we look up, we're looking up to the one who's in the Shekinah glory cloud of God, ruling over his world. And the angels come and say to the apostles, don't just stand there staring, go do something, go back to Jerusalem. Wait for the coming of the Spirit because you will be my witnesses. But you know, all too often I think that you and I, we, we tend to be quick to do something and not just stand there. And so this morning, I, I, I would encourage us simply to stand here and look up. To look up to where Jesus is ruling and reigning. To look up into the heavens and to remember that Jesus is Lord. He rules. He rules. He reigns. This is his world. But as we look up and we recognize that Jesus is ruling and reigning right now, we also need to remember Jesus is coming again. That's what the angels tell us at the end of the passage. In the same way that you've seen him go up, he's going to come back. And he's going to come back bodily. And he's going to come back in power and glory. And the the nations will bear witness to this king who comes in glory, that he is the true king of the world. And his name is Jesus. And so as we go forward to bear witness wherever Jesus takes us in all the circles and networks we find ourselves, as we look forward to that, we also look up knowing that King Jesus is Lord and he's coming again. And we bear witness to this reality that one day the grave could conceal him no longer. One day the stone rolled away from the door. Then he arose. Over death he has conquered. Now is ascended my Lord evermore. And one day He's coming. And that will be a glorious day. We bear witness to this, my friends. That's the mission. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you have called us into your mission to your world. Lord, we bless you, too, that you've empowered us. You haven't simply told us that you will be my witnesses without empowering us, but but the God of heaven and glory dwells in each of us, filling us, empowering us for this task. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us courage and that you would give us energy. And above all, you grant us great hope, because there is coming a day when you will return and we will feast in the house of Zion, and we will see you face to face. And we will sing your praise with multitudes upon multitudes that no one can number. And we long for that day. But until that day, Lord, we will feast here this morning around this table. Grant us grace in this meal, we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.